What kind of relationship should you have with the person who's trying to kill you? Quick, you don't have much time to think. Today's guest on the Desuckify Work podcast has an answer that may surprise you. He chose to treat his would-be killer with kindness and generosity. A disturbed young man, feeling lost and hopeless, opened fire on police officers outside a home in Las Vegas. Alan Goodrich, a SWAT officer, arrived on the scene with his team, ultimately helping to defuse the situation. When the young man came out in cuffs, Alan walked him to the officers who would bring him into the station. The young man said he wished he'd been shot and killed. But Alan connected with him as a human being and shared his own perspective of how he deals with intense stress. He gave him the gift of compassion and understanding when it would have been easy to choose a different path. It puts things in perspective when you're dealing with a tough client or a fussy coworker. But I think Alan's approach still applies. Treat everyone with respect and grace. We also touched on the need for mental health support at work during our conversation, whether you're in the office or in uniform. We discussed the value of finding the good in any job, focusing on what you can control and showing up with pride in the work you do, no matter what it is. And we talked about Alan's book, October Strong, which is one of the best I've read in quite some time. This was one of those conversations that changed me, no doubt. I think it may do the same for you. Okay, Alan Goodrich, welcome to the Desuckify Work Podcast. Hello, TJ. How are you? I am doing really well. I'm glad to have you on. Um, and I want to give people a chance to, to get to know you a little bit before we dive into some questions. So if you could take a minute to just talk about a little bit about who you are, what you do, and, and how you came to be doing it. Well, I appreciate the, the opportunity to be with you. Um, my name is Alan Goodrich. I'm a Las Vegas native, uh, pretty much been around Nevada my whole life, mostly. Um, work in law enforcement. I've been a police officer since 2006, and I've had some pretty cool jobs over the years. You know, I've worked in patrol and some detective details, but currently I'm on the uh, SWAT team here in Vegas. Mm, nice. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I imagine that's pretty intense, and we'll, we'll certainly get a chance to talk about that experience. Um, I also, you know, know you are a recently published author of a, of a best-selling book. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, we'll, we'll probably dive into that a bit more, but can you give just kind of a, a brief overview of, of the book and, and, and what's going on there? Sure. Yeah. It's so, um, first of all, I mean, it's kind of, it's always weird to hear like best-selling author and that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Cause I'm a cop with a high school education, you know? So, yeah, yeah. um, I never thought in a million years I would get into the trade of being an author, but um, mm -hmm. I, I guess the, you know, we'll, we'll get into the book a lot later, but uh, the, the reason for getting into it was, you know, during the uh, 2020, you know, anti-cop and defund the police movement, I just kind of wanted to create something that was a refund the police, you mm -hmm. know, kind of a feel to it just to let people know that, you know, we're, we're, we're really actually normal people who, who do a difficult, difficult job. So mm -hmm. around 2020, that was kind of, that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. It's like, okay, dummy, get off your butt and get this thing going. So, <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that perspective. And I think what'll be really interesting too, certainly for, for a lot of my audience, you know, a lot of the folks I've talked to so far on the podcast come from uh, corporate jobs for lack of a better term. And it's a pretty good range. You know, I've, I, I've worked in advertising and I'm talk, I've talked to people who, who work in all different kinds of fields, but it's mostly that kind of work. And so I'm excited for people to, to hear a different perspective of what work looks like. And then to your point, to maybe then like get a different perspective on, you know, the world of law enforcement and first responders and some of the stresses and strains that show up in that line of work, which I think won't be a surprise to most folks who come more from, from my line of work, but some of the, the, the ways that you guys deal with that and the ways you respond to that and the ways you try to move through some of those challenges, I think will be really interesting. And I, I have a hunch. There's also some universal truth in that, which is we're human beings. We all work and we can all get stressed and, and, and deal with some challenges and, and your perspective, I think will just help shine a different light on that. So I'm looking forward to getting into all of yeah, I mean, I mean, you're you're absolutely correct. I mean, I I, I had a short stint in the uh, private sector before I became a police officer, mm -hmm. and, and you're right. I do think a lot of things cross over. I mean, granted, you know, if you if you think about it, 
our, our police department's a, it's got a billion dollar budget mm-hmm. and our, our sheriff is, is, is really a, a, he's a great guy, but they, they, it's a, it's a giant organization, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so there's a business aspect to it for sure. And, and yeah. whether it's a banker or whether it's a lawyer, I mean, or we just, we're, we're regular employees who we just carry a gun, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I, I think that'll be interesting to just hear the distinct, uh, experience that you have being a, a normal dude, but you do have this responsibility and you do carry a gun because of that responsibility. And I, I think, I think I'm most interested in, in ultimately understanding sort of how it feels to live in that experience and, and the, the different first responders that you interact with, which you touch on in a really cool way in the book. So I think we'll dive into that a little more too. Um, so just a quick question for you. One of the things I, I typically ask people, which you're going to have a, a different perspective on this, I think, but I ask people like, what, what do you think of the state of work for most people right now? So in the corporate world, uh, people are kind of feeling disengaged, disconnected. People are struggling a little bit. Um, in, in the world you're in, how are people finding their work and, and their connection to that work? That's, that's a really good question, man. Um, well, I, I tend to think, and you know, I'm not trying to like beat my chest and brag here, but, but I really, I really work hard on having a really good attitude every day I go to work. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's something that takes, it's, it's a constant effort. You know, yeah. I'm constantly having to remind myself how lucky I am and how blessed I am to be where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't always had this great attitude at work. And, and one kind of story that comes to mind is, I mean, it was years and years ago, I was working some undercover detail. And, and at the time I had like long hair and a big beard, you know, I, I, I went into work with like cargo shorts and a t-shirt, you know, I didn't uh-huh. have a gun belt on. I wasn't wearing this vest that was sweaty mm-hmm. all the time in the Vegas heat. So, yeah. and, and I had a car, I had a take home car with mm-hmm. free gas and I was spoiled, you know? And, uh, I, I ran into like, right now he's the number two guy in our agency. I won't say his name, but he, he knows I tell the story all the time. So it's cool. Okay. But um, the number two guy in our organization is like one of my really good friends, a great mentor. Um, I've worked through him for him for since he was a sergeant and now he's number two. Right. Mm. And so I run into him in the parking garage at our headquarters, which is like where all the big wigs work, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he's like, Hey, Hey, goody, how's work going? And, and, you know, I've known this guy forever. So I just kind of like start venting. Right. I'm like, well, this, that, and this, that, and this guy's a jerk. And th- I can't believe they're having us do this. And I start complaining. Right. Yeah. And after a few, you know, he just sits there and he listens. Right. And he just, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well then he like, he's like, do you have a second? I'm like, sure. So he's like, come with me real quick. And I'm thinking like, we're going to go get Starbucks or something, you know, and mm-hmm. sit down and keep talking about like my yeah. woes, you know? Mm-hmm. And we go to the parking garage and we go to the fifth floor of the parking garage and the door opens. And like, there's all the people, like the new hires doing the PT course just to apply to be a cop. Right. Mm, yeah. And so I'm seeing these guys doing like push-ups and sit-ups and jump downs. And, and, you yeah. know, they're like, they're so nervous cause they just want the job. Right. Mm-hmm. And here I am spoiled with like a beard and long hair and t-shirt in a car. <laughs> and he looks at me and he looks at the recruits. And he looks at me and he looks at the recruits and I'm like, I got it. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, shut your mouth, dude, go to work and, and have a better attitude. And, and, and from that, like really that moment on, it was really, and he probably doesn't know the impact that had on me because I really look up to the guy. But mm-hmm. pretty much from that moment on, I would wherever I was at, I would get in my car and I would just like take a breath and look around and be like, holy crap, I cannot believe I have this cool job, you know. So mm-hmm. it really was a, it was a paradigm shift. But but to answer your question, it really came from a great leader, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it takes great leaders to 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 lead an organization and to get that you know, to, to recognize the guy who's kind of down or, or maybe doesn't have the right mindset and to kind of mm-hmm. point him in the right direction, you know? Yeah, no, that, it, it's funny because so much of what you said totally connects to what I've seen in any kind of work, which is people can, can kind of bitch and moan about, about their job. And, and there are real issues. I'm not dismissing that, but a, a great leader can help people shift their mindset focus on the things that they can control, focus on the ways that they can show up and get better. And then, you know, if there's something in the system that you think you can help make better, great. Figure out where you can best use your abilities to do that rather than kind of getting stuck in the the cycle of complaining, which is really easy to do. I think we're humans. That's just like 
it's built into our DNA for some reason that we love to complain. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and and that's a great, that's a great way of putting it. Like if you're in a position to make a change, then, then make the change. Mm-hmm. If you're not in a position to make the change, then take pride in what you're doing mm-hmm. and enjoy what you're doing. And, and maybe someday you'll find a way to be in a, in a position where you can make a change, but if you can't, it's outside your control. Just do what you're supposed to do and do it really well and do mm-hmm. it. Give it your everything, give it your all and take pride in that. And it'll, yeah. it'll show. Yeah. And that, that could be anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And interestingly, like you said, like that attitude probably gives you the best chance of getting to a place where you could have more impact because sure. everybody wants to be around that attitude and then ultimately lift those people up into positions with more power in an organization. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I love like some of what you were just talking about reminded me you had shared a post and you tagged me in it a couple of weeks ago. And I really love this post um, because it, it spoke to some of this. I mean, I'm just going to recite back some of the questions you asked that I just think are, are really relevant to, to anyone. Uh, do you show up to work every day with gratitude in your heart, which is just like, that's the mindset shift, right? It's just being thankful for, for where you are, wherever that is at this moment and realizing that there are people who would love to be where you are. Do you do your best to lift others around you, right? And that to me really connects like to the leadership question and and the fact that you can show up as a leader wherever you are, right? You may have thought, I'm not a leader yet in this position. I'm just doing my my undercover thing. And then you could have talked to any one of those guys or girls up on the roof doing pushups and doing whatever, and you would have shown up as a leader to them or could have. So that that's really interesting. And then this is this is an interesting question that definitely shows up in 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 some of the corporate jobs that I'm aware of. Do you feel like an imposter because the people around you are better than you? And I'd love to I'd love to get a take on like how that may have shown up for you and and how do you how do you move past that? Well, specifically on the on the imposter syndrome, that is mm-hmm. that is a phenomenon that is very, very, very common in my line of work. And I say my line of work, I'm not talking police officers. I'm talking about, um, you know, in the, in the military, you have, you have special forces units, but then you have mm-hmm. tier one units, right? Yeah. So a tier one unit would be something like a green beret or Navy seal or seal team six, even, or, or, you okay. know, one of the real top, top, top level guys, mm-hmm. uh, Delta force guys, but in, in the police world, you know, there's such a, everybody gets, everybody wants to be swapped. Right. Like mm-hmm. you get in the recruit in the academy, every, every talk to anyone and they're like, I want to be SWAT someday. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But not very many people get to do it. You know, like mm-hmm. I, we have a board with all the names of every SWAT operator in Las Vegas ever. Mm. And I think there's only like 250, maybe. Oh, wow. Okay. Ever. Yeah. And we're one wow. of the busiest teams in the country. Yeah. And so you show up to work and like everybody's like, bigger, more muscles, you know, uh, better shooting, faster, stronger. And and mm-hmm. you're looking around these people and you're like, how in the heck do I belong here? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so mm-hmm. the imposter syndrome really, I mean, I, I know that people talk about it shows humility, but I mean, truthfully, like you look around at the guys you work with and, and you're like, yeah, I, I, I definitely <laughs> snuck <laughs> through the cracks because <laughs> these guys are way better than me. But yeah that that mindset and that attitude is actually really really common so you talk to somebody on delta force or seal team six and they'll tell you they feel the same way because mm. to the left and to the right of them are just people that are they feel like they're so much better than them but you you try and perform to that level and try and keep elevating yourself elevating yourself so that imposter syndrome is real it really is mm. and, yeah. and if you feel like for one second you're like oh i'm you know i'm the top of here i'm the top of this like they they'll pick up on that really mm-hmm. quick and you'll never get you'll never get this job. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like the, the irony of it, right? Like if you think you fully deserve the job to the point where you think, you know, your stuff doesn't stink, like that's the last person you want on that job. So there's yeah. like, and I, and I think that does hold true for most jobs, right? I mean, I think you want people to have a, the, enough confidence to do the job well, and you want enough confidence to know that they could do better. Right. You know, cause a lot of confidence is just, I can improve, you know, and it seems like that's the mindset that you're talking about. It's like, you see these people, you're like, I don't know if I really belong here, but I think I can get better. Yeah. Yeah. And is that how it ultimately showed up for you? Like you just sort of went like, all right, I'm going to step up my game and see, see if I can live up to the story I have in my head of what needs, what I need to be here. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it takes, it take it does, don't get me wrong. It does take a certain amount of confidence to, yeah. to achieve something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. you get there and you realize like, Hey, they just threw you onto a, like, for example, a professional sports team that's never lost, mm. you know, imagine the, the bulls, you know, they got seven or Michael Jordan had seven world championships. Yeah. Right. Well, we look at our missions, you know, as, 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 you know, let's, let's, let's call it a mission. We're like, 55 million and oh like we've oh, never lost God. you know like, so <laughs> they put you on a sports team that has never lost and then mm-hmm. suddenly you have to like fit in with these guys no matter how confident you are you'll you'll be knocked down a peg pretty quick and just and just try and elevate yourself to the rest of the guy's level yeah i can i can only imagine i mean i think i think in most you know business context i think the same experience might not be quite that same extreme of like 55 million and oh but i think there are certain companies within every industry that people really aspire to be a part of, whether that's in advertising or banking or, or law firms or whatever. And I think you can get to that same place of like, well, I better live up to what the name on that door says, or, you know, for you guys, it's the name across, across your chest or whatever, like that, that can either turn into a sort of heavy weight that keeps you from moving forward or like almost like somebody behind you pushing you. Um, when you got into, into the, to the SWAT team, did you, did it take a while for you to feel like you could really live up to that? Or, or was it, was the support built into the leadership that helped you get there? How did you, how did you show up to this elite unit and suddenly go, okay, I'm actually going to do this job and I'm going to do it really well. What, what made that work for you? Well, it, it's a, it's a structured, very structured organization. And, and it's been around since the early seventies and, mm-hmm. um, you know, just a background on our team. We're, we're probably the busiest team in the country. We have such a high, high tempo. Mm-hmm. Um, and they understand that when you're up there, you're the new guy. And, and, uh, it's, it's a lot like drinking from a fire hose, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're expect, they, they expect you to do very little at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Like your job is to stand here and watch that window. You got it. Got it. You know? yeah. <laughs> and as you, as you get more time, you know, you'll start to open up your vision and see more things and they'll give mm-hmm. you more and more tasks. It may be like when you're new, you just drive the bear cat. And then the mm-hmm. next time it's drive the bear cat and watch this window. And the next time they, they slowly work you into it. So when you're the new guy, you're not expected to just pick it up and go, mm-hmm. you know, the problem is it's ever evolving. Right. So mm-hmm. when I was the new guy, obviously I didn't know what the heck I was doing and it's just kind of like a lot of information overload. Yeah. But as time goes on, you start to pick up things and you start to get better at your job. Then you start to kind of get put in a leadership role. And then it's mm-hmm. like all over again, drinking from a fire hose, like, okay, I know how to like operate, but I don't know how to like lead. Right. Mm-hmm. So now what, you know, and you, you'll, you'll screw up and you'll step on your toes and, and you'll, mm-hmm. you'll slowly figure it out and become better and better. Yeah. Um, and so right now I'm kind of a, a middle of the pack and seniority guy where they don't look at me as a new guy, but I'm also not the team leader where I have to put everything together. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. But I do have a, a role in, in my leadership part with, with some training. And when mm-hmm. that kind of got put on me, it was just once again, just starting over. Like I'm the new guy, even though I'm in charge of like some of the training, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, here you go. And yeah, but um, yeah, they, they, they slowly work you into it. I like, I mean, I like that. I mean, I think obviously there's a lot at stake, you know, so I, I think to, to thrust somebody into the middle of it without having the full experience, I think would obviously be a mistake. But I think, you know, when you talk about any position, you use this, this phrase kind of like your, your vision isn't all there yet, basically like initially, like you kind of see this, Right. And for maybe for day one, it's yeah, look at that window. See anything? Let us know. Okay, I can do that. And then over time, like it opens up and you start to notice different things. And then it's even though you're the same person who shows up, let's just say six months later to like the same kind of situation, suddenly what you're capable of seeing in that situation dramatically different because you've kind of been stepped through it. And I think there's a a pretty good parallel there in any job where and honestly, I will say this, other jobs don't do a great job of this. Sometimes they just throw you in and expect you to do the thing. And I think there's something to be said for, get really good at doing this one slice of something. Really, really good. And then, okay, open it up a little more. Now you've got two slices or, or a different, bigger slice. Okay. Um, 
when when did you feel like huh i think i understand how to do this job like when did that show up for you <laughs> <laughs> i still, still don't think I, I still i'm still waiting for that moment where i think i've got it i i still because i mean every every you know every situation's so different and mm-hmm. you can train for everything and you can plan for everything but you know the bad guy always has a say in how things are going to happen and so there's times where you're like, okay, this is going to go this direction. And then all of a mm-hmm. sudden you're like, oh no, that's definitely not what I saw happening here, you know, no. but um, y- yeah, you're right. You know, if, if you, if you're, if your task is this, right. You're, mm-hmm. you're like, for example, in the corporate world, Hey, I need you to staple these reports and set it right here. Well, yeah. then I'm going to staple it perfectly and I'm going to set it right there. And I'm going to mm-hmm. do that so well that they're like, okay, that's awesome. Now we can give you one more thing, mm-hmm. but I know I, st- I still I'm still waiting to figure it out. I I still feel like a yeah. new guy, you know. Yeah, which you know I, I think like you said earlier that might be a good thing that you've got just enough of that like I haven't figured it all out yet that it keeps you on your toes and it keeps you fresh. And I also think like there there's something, and I'm curious how this maybe gets taught in your world. Like one of the things they'll say a lot in in the business world these days is you need to be sort of nimble and adaptable and ready to handle change because the world around us is changing so fast. And I'm thinking, well, God, you guys are stepping into situations that even though they might sound the same sometimes on paper can be vastly different. And you do need to be able to like adapt in a microsecond. Um, how do you develop that ability uh, in, in the context of the work that you're doing? And does that at least give you the sense of like, okay, no matter what, crazy thing happens next. I've been through enough crazy things that I, I trust my, my instincts will sort of kick in because they've been trained well enough. Well, that's an excellent question. And, and um, maybe, maybe the answer could possibly relate to the corporate world. And, and I don't know, I'm, I'm, maybe I'll take a seat someday at a corporate table and figure this out. But mm-hmm. for us, it's with training, right? Yeah. So we train when we're not busy, we're training. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll give you an example. Like, let's say, let's say our job is to clear a room. Okay. So your job when you go to clear a room is you have specific guidelines and specific things we do. Right. So I come into the room and I go left and then my partner comes in the room and goes right. So mm-hmm. there are things that we teach that are gospel, right? So you come in left, right. Now, if something happens during, during that time, they want us to be free thinkers. Mm-hmm. Right. So I have my principles or my policies. Right. My job is to come in, go left and then clear my room. My partner's job is to go right and clear the room. But if something happens kind of weird, they do expect you to adapt to it right then. So mm-hmm. if my job is to come in and look left, but then all of a sudden I see something I have to address right away, I can't just go in and look left. I have to address yeah. it. Right. Mm-hmm. So they allow us to think on our feet. They want us to be free thinkers. But they do that through training. We're constantly, constantly, constantly training. Now, I don't know in a corporate world how you could evolve training scenarios into a corporate structure. But yeah. for us, the adaptability is through and it, through training. And it, it may be a tabletop exercise. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, they, they do want us to be free thinkers. We have guidelines that we have to fit and we have rules that we have to follow. But those can change. And they, mm-hmm. they do a lot. They do a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I can only imagine. I mean, I would I would think... Like you said, there's there's the on the fly adaptation, and then there's the okay, we we assessed what just happened. Maybe there's a better way to do that thing next time. So that might change the policy of like, okay, we need you to do this and this next time because that'll have you better prepared for that weird result that we hadn't seen before, right? Yeah, and and one thing that's also unique is every every single situation that we run into, we do what's called a tactical debrief. Hmm. so we stand in a giant circle and if you're in that circle no matter what rank you are that rank is left outside the circle Hmm. so we stand in a giant circle and we talk about it and we do this for training scenarios we do this for live missions we do this for the bad crazy missions Mm -hmm. when the situation's over we stand in a circle and the leader starts and says and we go around the circle and you talk about what you screwed up um and it's generally not a pat each other on the back moment. It's like, Hey, you know, I went in this room and I tripped, like, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and we go around the circle. And if you screwed up, no matter where you are in that structure, you have to take your pride and you set it aside and say, I screwed up. And then, then you learn from that. So those, mm-hmm. those debriefs at the end are also something that we use to, to always improve ourselves over and over. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I think in in some of the jobs I've had, occasionally you try to do that. You try to look back and see like, what could we learn? But I don't think it's super structured the way you guys talk about. I also think in a lot of the business world, training has kind of become a victim of budget cuts over the years. It's the first and sure. easiest thing to go. So a lot of people, I'm really at any level, you show up to a job and it's just, okay, start doing the job. And the training is occasionally you screw up and somebody will maybe tell you that you screwed up and then you try to figure out how I could do it better, which it works, but it's super inefficient, right? Because it's almost like you may have to repeat the same mistake 10 times before you finally figure out the right way through rather than having a more organized structure where it's like, let's go through and let's talk about it and let's get the benefit of different perspectives and experiences so that, oh, okay, I, I screwed that up but here's how I can fix it next time. Um, I think there's a kind of a lack of that in the business world. Um, and there's definitely a lack of training. Uh, like you said, I don't know what it would look like in, in relation to what you guys do, but I do think for any human being showing up to do a thing that you haven't done before, there's a lot of value in, in, in learning. And I think that some combination of learning, like through reading or watching stuff or, people talking or whatever, and then doing things where you have that feedback loop, right? Um, but in your world, a training exercise is basically like a simulation of the kind of experiences you might have, right? Correct. Like kind of like you see on TV where like the things pop up and it's like, is that a hostile or is that a friendly? Right. Then you got to decide like, um, do, does that kind of training, do you feel like that training shows up for you when you're now in the real world? Because it seems different enough that it's hard to imagine if it really connects to you, but what's been your experience with that? Well, you know, I, that's, that's, uh, that's an interesting, it's an interesting question. And, uh, I'll tell you about it without telling you too much about it, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, we get in a lot of shootings, we get in a lot of, we call our shootings critical incidences, if you will. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I remember one specific one on, on mine that I was personally involved in. Um, it was a pretty, pretty, you know, uh, hair raising kind of a moment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there's, there's good body camera video of it and everything else. And, and I felt like I performed very well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, when it was over, <clears throat> you know, we were kind of walking out there. I walked straight up to our training coordinator mm -hmm. and I gave him a giant hug. And I was like, man, that, that felt like just a training scenario because wow. we're trained so well that when the live thing actually happened, I did my job and I reacted how I would in training. And mm. I walked out of there and I was like, I could not believe that just felt like another, what well, we call them a rep, right? Like one more mm -hmm. rep. And, and I, and I was like, that just felt like a rep, you know, mm. it, it, I could not believe how well our training coordinated to like real life, you know? Yeah. That's really, that's awesome. I mean, I'm glad to hear that obviously, because it shows that the training works and it, it just makes me sort of double down on the fact that I think training is important for anyone in any position. And even if you're doing something that is quote unquote, not real, it is that mental rep and, and maybe the physical rep, depending on the work you're doing, that is training your body and your mind to be ready for it when it's in the real, in the real world, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'd love to, to shift towards talking about your book because I think what, what your book does so well, I love your book. It's, it's, you know, I, I Honestly, one of the, the better books I've read in a long time. And, and I'll tell you why as short, as quickly as I can. I think one of the reasons is you tell a story in, in a pretty unique way. And, and that is by giving you the perspectives of different people involved in a very significant incident um, uh, in Vegas. Um, and each piece of those stories, like, it could get confusing and it somehow doesn't like every time you put the piece together from one story to the next, it's like, Oh, that's cool. That that's that experience. And that's that person, you know, just, you know, from a different viewpoint of that same exact incident. And I also think you, you're just a, a really fantastic storyteller. Like you really feel in these people's lives as you talk about, you know, whether it's different first responders or people who are, you know, you know, on the ground, just living their lives, doing what they do until this, this scary moment happens. Each one of them, you, you allow people to feel that experience. Um, what, what was it like creating that experience as a writer? 
Oh, oh wow. Um, I'm going to try and get through this without crying because <laughs> uh, I, well, first of all, thank you for reading it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I like time is the most valuable thing we have in our lives and, and mm-hmm. you giving me your time by reading that. I, I can't even tell you what that means to me. It's, it's, it's surreal. It really is just a surreal feeling knowing that people are spending their time mm-hmm. reading my words. Just it's mind blowing, but That's awesome. um, yeah, I'm, I'm a real big Tom Clancy fan. Mm-hmm. And if you read some of his stuff, he's like all over the place. Right. But then it like mm-hmm. comes together at the end. Mm-hmm. So that was my kind of style. I wanted to copy if you will, mm-hmm. but to, to get into the, how it came to pass. <clears throat> um, yeah, basically, you know, like I, I talked about, I was involved in a critical incident a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when, when that happened, um, my personal life just took an absolute nosedive for the worst. Um, mm-hmm. And I was just spiraling out of control and I tried to be tough and I tried to, you know, put on a, you know, peacock feathers and I'm a SWAT mm-hmm. guy and I can handle it. But like yeah. ment- mentally I was not, I was not in a good place. It was really, really a dark time for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my really good mentors, you know, he's a former Navy SEAL sniper. He was one of the SWAT snipers on our team. Mm-hmm. He, he, he saw the signs that was going mm-hmm. on in my personal life. And, and he, he pulled me aside and he's like, dude, you are not doing good. But everybody mm-hmm. else thought I was right. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of pulled me aside and he said, Hey man, you know, what helped me get through all my stuff is I wrote down the incident as detailed as I could. Mm-hmm. I put it in an envelope and I put it away and I never read it again. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. You know, I, I sat home one day and I just opened up my computer and I just started typing. Well, I started typing the incident up, but I kind of wanted to tell it like a story so mm-hmm. that my kids someday could read it, you know, and be like, holy crap, dad went through this. Right. Wow. Um, cool. And so I didn't tell it from my perspective. I kind of told it from a storytelling perspective. Hmm. So I was just bawling tears as I'm just like writing this thing up. I'm just crying. Right. Yeah. It, it really helped avoid, you know, the, the alcohol and the, the other stuff that comes with that. Right. So hmm. While while I was home on administrative leave during that shooting, um, I would start to get in those really dark moments mm-hmm. and I would just sit on my computer and I just started like typing down stories, right, of things that I'd seen in my career. Hmm. And <clears throat> for me, I got I got the most benefit personally out of writing like heartwarming stories, not like running gun battles and mm-hmm. bank robbery shootings and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, there's a million cop books out there with that stuff in there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I just started telling stories like are in the book, you know, and, and I just started writing those down and it felt so good to just, it was therapeutic, if you will, to just put these incidents out on paper. Mm-hmm. And then I started kind of thinking like, okay, so it felt really good for me to get these things off my chest and talk about these, these cool stories, but there's a second side to that story, right? Mm-hmm. So I have my perspective, but the people's lives who were blessed by something that a law enforcement officer or first responder did. Mm-hmm. I wanted to tell their side of the story too. Mm-hmm. And so people could see both perspectives of what it felt like to bless someone's life and also what it felt like to be blessed. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It does kind of bounce all over the place and it does come together at the end during that October 1st incident. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I wanted to be very careful about that specific incident because I didn't want to give that guy a platform I didn't want to tell the story of that day. I just wanted to tell people what it was like to be there that day and the emotions of Mm -hmm. what the city went through that day and kind of what the first responders did as a result of that, but not tell Mm -hmm. that story. So basically the the journey was mostly therapeutic. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, at the end of the day, when we started, uh, when we, well, when we finished it, um, you know, a lot of those stories in that book are, are not me. They're, mm-hmm. they're stories from somebody else. Yeah. And uh, I just felt, you know, I knew there was going to be some money involved and it just kind of felt gross to, to think about taking money for telling somebody else's story. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that's kind of how that, that came about. <clears throat> right. And so you're, you're actually donating all the, the profits from this book. Is that correct? Yep. 100%. Yeah. And that's to the Wounded Blue. Is that the, the name of the organization? Yeah. It's Randy Sutton's foundation, the Wounded Blue. Mm. And what, what is their, their mission? So the Wounded Blue is probably one of the largest, you know, peer support groups that supports uh, sick and injured officers that were injured in the line of duty. Mm. 
So mm. Randy, Randy's a great man and he's a, one of my top mentors and he, that, that guy does nothing but serve people 24 seven. He does, he wakes up in the morning and, and thinks about everybody but himself. So Wow. I just thought we could make him a bunch of cash and, <laughs> and make his life a little bit easier and and, yeah. and and bless lives of hurt cops. Oh man, I I well I I certainly, you know, hope that more and more and more people read the book to to both get the pleasure of reading the book because it really is a pleasure to read even though it covers some heavy subject matter. Um you do you do really tap into that raw humanity. Uh, and, and some of that shared humanity that that I think we lose sight of sometimes when when you're dealing with some of the debates about stuff, whether it is debates about law enforcement or just politics or whatever. Um, I think we can lose sight of the fact that like there's so much connecting us. And I think that if there's one thing that people could take away from your book, it's that that like we are deeply connected and and what each person brings to the table matters because it's going to have an impact on at least one other person and in some cases with some of the work you guys are doing many people um so i, I really hope people take that away and then wonderful obviously if it supports a group like that that's doing something so important um you know as you talk about some of these experiences you know what shows up for me you know there's that physical side, meaning people are literally getting wounded and some people obviously losing their lives in these in these experiences. But part of what comes out of that and what you were talking about with your sort of therapeutic journey is the mental health side of things. And whether whether you're a SWAT officer or anywhere on the force or a first responder of any kind, I have to imagine the, the mental health aspect of it is is huge. You know, I think sometimes we think you're all heroes and somehow you have this sort of superhero thing that like encases your soul in some way so like you can just strut through life and not feel any of that stuff that hits you but obviously it does so what what's your take on on how first responders are are, are feeling their jobs and, and how that may affect their mental health and then what what is currently out there to help support people in in, in that environment yeah uh the the mental health aspects of this i think we're getting to a place um I think we're getting to a place in be it law enforcement, first responders, or even the military, for example, where, you know, all of these issues about mental health are really now they're, they're really coming to a head. And mm -hmm. I think we're getting to a place where, you know, like, you know, my dad's Vietnam era where they called mm -hmm. it like shell shock and, yeah. and, uh, you know, and then it, you know, came on later is, uh, you know, uh, you know, they just had different names for it. Right. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Where and, and in my, my dad's generation, it was kind of like a thing that you, you just didn't talk about. Right. Like you mm -hmm. just suck it up and deal with it. Right. Yeah. But that's not really beneficial. And I mm -hmm. think we're getting to a point in society where people are talking about it more. It's becoming more of an issue. Uh, and, and I think it's becoming more and more okay to talk about that. I'm not yeah. okay. Yeah. You know, and, and when I finally could tell myself that, Hey, I, I'm not all right. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really not okay. And for, for me talking to a doctor, you know, the, the psychiatry and stuff like that, mm -hmm. it never it didn't help me. I know it mm -hmm. does help some people. Yeah. It, it does. It does have a benefit, but for me, it was not helpful for me. It was just typing and, and telling mm -hmm. my story crying on my keyboard. Yeah. But, um, it's come to a point now where I think it's okay that we can talk about these things that, that we're not okay. Mm. And so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a story. So like we had a call out, um, about a year ago or so where this guy came out of his house and just started randomly shooting at police officers driving by. And wow. then he barricaded himself inside of his house. You know, this is the reader's digest version, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so we, we called and we responded. And, and when we got there, we kind of surrounded the house with our armor and, and, and not very long after we surrounded the place, he comes out and, when he comes out, you know, we put him in handcuffs and stuff and I start to walk him back to the patrol cops. And while I'm talking to him, I just wanted to know if he was the guy that was shooting at us or is there somebody else inside the house? So mm -hmm. I was asking him like, Hey man, was that you shooting at us and stuff? And he's like, I want my lawyer. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not talking to you to incriminate you, buddy. Like I need to know, is there someone else inside that house? Mm -hmm. And then he just starts bawling. He's like, man, I just wanted you to kill me. Just kill me. Just kill me. Mm -hmm. And we're walking back to the police officers, you know, and I stopped him and I turned him around towards me <clears throat> and I looked at him and I looked him in the eyes and he's just like bawling tears. 
Mm. And I'm like, Hey buddy, like, and this is just, this is when I just got back to work from dealing with all my stuff. Right. Oh, wow. I told, I told this kid, I'm like, and he was probably like 19, 20. Mm. And I looked at him like, I'm like, dude, you are not the guy. You're not the guy we want to kill. Like this, you're a kid. You're a normal kid. You have your whole life ahead of you. Why would you want to commit suicide by cop? Like, and he's just like, sometimes I can't breathe. I can't handle it. And so I actually had a good moment with him for two seconds. I got to tell him my experiences. Right. And so Mm -hmm. my experience was sometimes these feelings, they come on like waves, like waves in the ocean Mm -hmm. and they crash and then they recede and then they crash and then Mm -hmm. they recede. And I told him, I was like, Hey buddy, when these moments come, just hold your breath and go under the water, let the current tumble you around and then it goes away and then come up for air. Mm. And he looked at me and I gave him a big hug and I passed him off, you know, wow. but for, for us going through this stuff, it, it just crashes like waves. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a mental health professional, but I think if we can just recognize when it's coming on and what's triggering this darkness, just hold your breath, man. And let the wave crash you and then it'll recede and you'll be Mm. fine and you can breathe again, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a powerful story, obviously. I mean, and it's, it's interesting in, in a couple of ways to me. I mean, the story itself and just the raw emotion that, that came off of this guy and that, that then came on to you having just gone through your own set of massive waves um, and like, that's just powerful. And then the ability to be in that moment, having done some of your own personal work through the writing and getting those stories out to be in a position where, where you could be who he needed you to be in that moment. Right. It, it is, is amazing. Mm-hmm. And it certainly, it might surprise some people because I think some people might think, well, as a law enforcement officer, how, how could you how could you get to such raw human communication with somebody who was literally just firing at you and and, and your brothers and sisters like seconds or minutes ago? Um, so all of that is, is impressive to me. And what it really brings home and, and you started to talk about this with your own experience is the fact that people are talking about and acknowledging mental health more across the board and the fact that that shows up in your world as you know i think you mentioned somebody told you that they had gone through and kind of written some stuff and and that that helped them just getting it out the ability to kind of share and pass along that kind of information comfortably and not feel like oh we don't talk about this stuff you know what i mean um where even maybe 10 years ago it might have been like all right, suck it up, man. You know, yeah. you're going to go serve your sentence and suck it up. And in the guy that was, was kind to you, he might've been like, Hey man, we just got to deal with it. Like just cram it down and, and show up to work when you, when you, when you're ready to show up to work again, where now it's like, no, like there are ways to move through it. And as a leader of any kind, and in that moment, I would say you were very much being a leader, you know, to that person, um, that, that can be part of what we offer as a leader is someone who who doesn't simply hear the signs of distress and go suck it up man you know but it's like no i I may not be a mental health professional but here's what's worked for me here's here's my bit of wisdom that i can pass along and and hopefully it helps and if more and more people do that suddenly you're creating a culture that starts to support that whether you're in the law enforcement world or whether you're in the corporate world because it's amazing how much stress can show up in that world for work that on the surface can sometimes seem like, why are you so stressed about this? But, you know, at the end of the day, the simplest reason I think is you are responsible for either your own money or someone else's money. And that that's a heavy weight. And to have leaders who can show up in those situations and go like, here's something I think that could, could be helpful for you right now, whether it's right or whatever. 100%. 100%. And I, I remember, uh, I remember listening to a Jocko speech one time and he was talking about planning a, a mission for the, his seals. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he's planning this mission for his seals and he's got all this stress planning this raid on some compound. Right. And his mm-hmm. daughter comes into his room with like some project for school. Like she's building a volcano with like vinegar and yeah, yeah. baking soda. Right. And yeah. she's super stressed. And, mm-hmm. and he was kind of like, if I remember right. And hopefully he doesn't get mad at me for telling his story wrong, but like he kind of like got short with her, but then quickly realized that the stress she's feeling and the stress he's feeling, it's actually the same stress. Mm. And you know, whether you're being shot at or whether you have like a deadline to meet, 
your mm-hmm. body reacts the same and, and it's, it's, it's not that different. So I don't want to say that what we feel is different than somebody would feel in the corporate world. No stress is stress is equally unhealthy. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, your body's going to process it the same, whether it's bullets flying at me or whether your boss screaming at you because, you know, budget cuts and you have to get this report in or you need to come in on your weekend. That's the same stress. I know. And, and people have to find, you're right. People have to find, you got to find your, 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 your outlet, right? For me, it was writing. Mm-hmm. Um, for some of my friends, it's working out. For some yep. people, it's like talking to a therapist, whatever mm-hmm. it is, you yeah. have to find, you have to find that thing or else you're going to, you know? Absolutely. And I, I love how you frame that, right? It's the same stress. Like it's the body is going through the same exact process of what, whatever those, those endorphins or adrenaline or whatever those things are, the cortisol is spiking whether you're in your situation or something in the office or a little kid just trying to not screw up their volcano that's going to be on display with all the other kids and teachers that you know six years old good lord that's a lot of stress so i i think even just the acknowledgement that like stress is stress like if it's depression depression is depression um and it's real no matter what the underlying triggers might have been for yourself um, and that you need to find a way through it and people need to get more comfortable talking about it. And what's interesting is I'm not even sure throughout the corporate world that there's the comfort level that we need just yet. Meaning I think it's in there, like you said, the, 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 the broad cultural conversation is shifting and it, there's some room for acknowledging it. But I still think if you show up at work and you're stressed and you screw up, Nine times out of 10, you might not get the support you need. You might just get the the slap on the wrist for screwing up or the better luck next time kind of thing because we're not having these conversations enough to give people kind of that muscle memory the same way we talked about how training gives you muscle memory. Having conversations about this stuff on a regular basis and being comfortable and not stigmatizing it and not, um, not being afraid of it because I think that's at the root of it is um it's how you get those reps and then it's like oh okay i see that my my employee is struggling here's what i think i can do to help them i can coach them through this in this way or this way and you know i can i can say you know are you getting the support you need simple questions but like the difference that makes when you're feeling stressed or depressed is like night and day suddenly you feel acknowledged and so much of that weight from that wave can start to dissipate just from that acknowledgement. Yeah, for for sure. And I remember when, you know, I'm looking back at my, you know, early 20s. And when I got onto the force, I was just a, you know, an outgoing, you know, extrovert. I, you know, I enjoyed going to parties and hanging out mm-hmm. with friends. Yeah. And then after a few years of the job, you know, you're going to shootings and stabbings and murders and, you know, seeing all the horrible things in life. I started to pull back from the things I used to do. And, Mm. and my mom really, you know, you know, she didn't understand anything, right? My mom was a stay at home mom. Great. She's a heart of gold, wonderful lady, but but she didn't experience what I'm experiencing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so she's noticed these changes in me and she, she's like always, you know, why are you so grumpy? And why don't you come to this party? And why are you leaving, you know, family dinner after 20 minutes? Because I Mm. just, couldn't be around people. Right. Mm. And, and that's, and in essence, that's kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of a, a, a reason for putting all this stuff in that book. And, and, and when you read it, you, you got a real good look into mm. our mindset. Yeah. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to write that thing for cops in general. I want to write it for everyone just to know, because um, I remember on those riots, you know, the George Floyd stuff and everything We're we were standing on, on a skirmish line, if you will. Mm-hmm. And there's people on the other side of that skirmish line, just spitting at us and calling us the worst names in the world. Mm-hmm. And I just remember looking at them being like, I, I'm not your enemy, man. Like mm-hmm. I'm a human being. I put this on just like you put on your shirt mm-hmm. and I have a job to do. And you don't know this, but right now, if there's a crazy person on that roof, who's planning on doing something evil to this group, I'm going to get in between you and that person right now and protect mm-hmm. you, whether, no matter how you feel about me. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to, we wanted to paint that picture of, 
here's like, you know, Randy Sutton said it the best, like that book shows the, the heart that beats beneath the badge. Mm. But also I wanted to kind of put people in our shoes to understand just the, why we are the way we are. Mm -hmm. And if you can understand why we are the way we are, yeah, maybe you might get pulled over by a cop and he's really grumpy with you Mm -hmm. and nobody likes that. Right. But maybe that guy just got off the worst call of his life. He, mm-hmm. maybe he just saw a baby in a pool, you know, like the mm-hmm. horrible things you could ever imagine. Yeah. So like, let's have a little patience. If he comes up and he chews you out of the car, you know, it, it sucks. Nobody likes to be yelled at, but mm-hmm. you don't know what that person just went through. So we yeah. kind of wanted to open people's eyes up to that. And like you and I talked about, we want to make it, I don't know, maybe okay to not be okay. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that that comes through loud and clear. I think the you invite people to be curious about other people with this story because you have people from different backgrounds, different walks of life. Some of them are first responders. Some of them are, like we said, just, you know, people with, with quote unquote regular jobs who end up going to a concert or whatever, like doing the things we all do. Um, some of them are people who maybe do first responding work and are showing up at the concert because that's just their night off or whatever. And they're doing it like, so this whole, but, but this web of humanity and the, the commonality of humanity really shows up. And for me, it's sparking some of that curiosity that can lead to empathy, right? Like what, and this is true for any reaction between any human being, when somebody shows up in a way that we don't like, I think if you can get curious about like what is going on there, yeah, somebody might've just gone through something really terrible and that's how they're showing up. And it doesn't mean they like have the right to treat you terribly, but at least it creates understanding. And I think if we can go from constantly judging each other to at least understanding each other, even if we disagree, but at least we understand like, okay, he's coming from that perspective. She's coming from that perspective. I'm here and I understand we're all in this together. To me, that's a, a massive win. And I think I think your book is is doing that. And, and, and I, I, that sounds like very lofty, like standard for this book, but but that's how I felt after the book. I felt even after a story about one of the most horrible two hour windows of time that you could imagine in the world, I came away feeling optimistic about humanity. And that I think is why I love the book so much, because in addition to it just being told in a really wonderful way, that's the biggest gift of a book is if it can change the way you feel. And I'm generally an optimistic guy, but I sort of got even more uplifted from that book and just like, wow, we are capable of so much when when we do really bring that curiosity and empathy towards our our fellow humans. 100%. And and you nailed it. So you know, we, we live in such a divided world right now. You got, mm-hmm. if you don't support this, you're that. And if you're not this, you're that. And I'm not a political guy at all. Mm-hmm. But if you, I mean, if you can imagine, you, we all know how horrific that day was. It was mm-hmm. probably one of the worst experiences of my life being mm-hmm. out there that day. Yeah. But if you could have seen the things that people did that day, mm-hmm. it overpowered all that evil. So if you could turn off the TV and you could turn off the radio and stop hearing, I belong in this group and I belong in that group and you believe Mm -hmm. this or you believe that. So you're this or you're that. And then something happens, everyone, and I don't care what color you are, what religion you are, what side of the aisle you're on, everybody Mm -hmm. jumped in to help Mm -hmm. because you said you're an optimist, but I think it's just good human nature. And you could not imagine the Mm -hmm. outpouring of support, the help people were providing, the things people did for each other on that day. Mm -hmm. There we're not screwed as humanity. Like there is hope. We are, we are really good. You know, humanity is good. And despite what the TV says, the radio says, and this politician, that politician, you turn all that crap off Mm -hmm. and you see a car on the side of the roadway and they're broken down. You see that mother with her three kids. People Mm want to stop on the side of the road and say, how can I help? Yeah. And, and, and I saw that to a grand scale on that mm. day and that's really what we wanted to portray in that book is like mm. we're going to be okay like there's yeah. hope for humanity we are all we're really all in this together because it's a crazy mm-hmm. blue blue blob we live on yeah. in space and yeah. we all breathe the same air so we're all here together and i don't care what this tv says or what that radio says mm-hmm. people are good people are very yeah. good no i i fully agree with that and i think you know, my, my general recommendation is maybe we don't spend quite as much time 
you know, on the news channels and uh, doom scrolling social media for the worst news of the day or the worst uh, facet of humanity and spend a little more time, you know, reading books like yours, telling each other stories like like, you know, some of the ones you told today that that open up that door to, to the shared humanity that we have. Um, just spending more time connecting rather than being connected to our devices sure. and all this stuff and all these voices that that honestly they make money by making us angry that's that's how they keep our attention so i i hope people can come away from this conversation and i and i think reading your book with yeah i think if i if i focus more on the things that unite us not only will it make my life and the world better but to bring it down to like your day-to-day -day, like things like work if we all show up to work with a little more curiosity humility empathy for everyone around us, the, the things that that turn into these blow ups in the work situation, I don't think they will as often because you're going to you're going to maybe resist that urge to immediately snap at somebody when they do something you don't like and at least try to give yourself a breath, try to understand them and then try to connect through to them by, by hearing their story and then telling your corresponding story. So I think at the grandest scale, some of what you, you've outlined here today not only gives, sort of gives me hope in the big picture for the world, but it, it gives me hope for this sort of mission that I'm on, which is this desuckify work thing, because I think work is such a big part of our lives, right? Like we spend half of our waking hours working. Um, it really shouldn't suck. And at, at its best, it should be something that, that contributes to the sense of bringing value to the world and a sense of, you know, contributing to something and a sense of making some little corner of the world at the very least a little bit better. So I think people will take that away. Um, and, you know, kind of coming off of that, you know, I'd love to just ask you a couple final questions before we wrap up. And, and this one will be, be interesting because again, I think you're coming at the world of work from a different perspective, but I ask everybody, like, if you could wave a magic wand and make work sort of an ideal state for what work looks like, what would that look like for you? If I could wave my wand, I would have everybody in, in the workforce have a team like I have. Mm. You know, I have I have 40 brothers that are all the best attitude, highly motivated, highly talented individuals who love showing up for work every single day. I have mm. leaders who understand us, who have been in our shoes and who are phenomenal leaders from our sergeants, our lieutenants. Our, our commander and all the way to the sheriff and the under sheriff and assistant sheriff. We, I have right now, this is the most unsuckified work I've ever had in my life. That's awesome. <laughs> it is. If I could wave my magic wand, everybody would get to experience what I experience mm. every single day because I work with the most amazing people and the most leadership. So from the grunts on the floor, all the way to the leadership, if I could wave my wand, everybody would experience what I experience. Mm. That's cool. And I think what what's interesting is like, there's really just a few core things that happen there. You talked about great leadership and that's so much of it. And then I think great people. And, and, and for me, that shows up as, as like people who, who want to contribute to whatever the bigger cause is to the values that the organization may hold, whether that's the SWAT team or whether that's a business adventure or whether that's, you know, you're playing for professional sports team, whatever it is, when you, I think when people show up and you all kind of believe you're headed in the same direction, trying to achieve the same things, sharing the same values, that's when you get there. It sounds like you've got that. That's amazing. Um, and yeah, I, I wish that for everybody because you want people to talk about work the way you just talked about it. Yeah. That's, that's my dream. If I could wave a magic wand, I want people to, 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 to when you say, what's your work like? They they talk about it the way you just did instead of the eh or pay me more. Yeah, I wish I had more time for lunch. I'm getting promoted or I'm, yeah, you know, or no. like there, there's no opportunity or nobody values what I do. Like all those things, I, I think start with sort of owning what we bring to the table, and then good leaders help bring that out of us. Um, the other question I ask people, and I, you tell me if you're up for it, but I use a lot of sound effects on my show. If you've listened to my show at all, like it's cat sounds and it's other goofy sounds. And I've asked people, you know, if they're game to just make a sound that, you know, it'll probably show up in the intro to the uh, episode if you are up for it. So 
tell me, are you up for making some kind of a, a sound? Yeah. When I read your email, I was like, what? <laughs> uh, but I, I did think of a sound. Um, we had a Lieutenant who just retired from our team, who was probably one of the best leaders I've ever worked around mm-hmm. uh, with the exception of probably my current Lieutenant. And he mm-hmm. had a saying, he said, uh, he said, be humble on the outside, Ric Flair on the inside. So <laughs> I got a sound for you. <laughs> do you guys do the Ric Flair sound? Do we have a countdown or do I just do it? <laughs> I would say just do it when you're ready. All right. So humble on the outside and woo on the inside. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's uh that's so funny because it it fits what you just described about your work experience, right? Like you were, you were demonstrating the woo kind of feeling by saying you love your work. You get, you feel supported. You have great leaders, you have a great team and everybody is there for each other. So that is awesome. Um, the only thing I want to ask you before we go is, is how can people find you, find your book, all that good stuff so they can, uh, see more of, of what you're putting out into the world in terms of the stories you're telling. Well, I, I cleverly put a, there it is. A plug for it right here. Yeah, I love <laughs> so it. So this is it. It's October Strong. Uh, I got the light on there. Um, yeah, perfect. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Barnes and Nobles. We are currently working on the uh, uh, Audible version right now. Oh, cool. Uh, Randy Sutton's going to be reading it for us. So if you're not a, you know, a big reader, um, yeah, you can get it on uh, Audible. It's Kindle. All the all the things. I just would ask if, uh, you know, if people. It's it's an easy read, you know. It's it's pretty fast. It um, just understand. I just want people to understand that when you read this, a lot of tears went into it, and a lot of tears are going to come out of the benefit of it. You know, I I don't need mm-hmm. the money. It's it's going to charity, um, mm-hmm. but I want people to just you know take a couple hours and and see see what it is. And and that would when people read it, and then I get feedback. You know, I I read the Amazon. I read every single Amazon review. So awesome. if people want to. If they do want to do a review on Amazon, I read every single one of them and there's a bunch. And, yeah. and, it, and I do that because it, it means a lot to me to, to know that there are people who took their time to read it. And mm-hmm. it just does me good to, to know what it meant to people. So I look it up. October strong. I can imagine. I can't recommend it enough. I left a review as, as you know, uh, praising the book because I, I honestly, I really had no idea what to expect. Like, I'm like, I'm just going to read this book. And, you know, when it's a new author, you're like, I don't know what this is. And like, it didn't take long for me to be like, oh, I'm, I'm hooked. And then as the piece is built, I was like, oh, wow. Like, it was, what was wonderful and interesting was there were times where I was just so engrossed in the stories, I forgot where it was headed in a very good way, <laughs> you know? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh, yeah, I remember where this is headed now. Oh, what's going to happen to this person? And how is this person going to maybe, you know, rise up in some way? Um, it is, a, it's a, it's a delightful read. I, I, I love that you're sharing how much the, the tears that went into it um, and, and how much you are, are grateful for the, the rewards that's going to come to, to, to the, uh, to the organization that you're supporting with it. Um, and I will say it's hard to get through this book without having at least a little bit of, you know, your eyes moistening up a little bit because it is deeply emotional. Um, but ultimately, as I said, deeply optimistic about the state of humanity. And the only thing I'll add about where people should try to follow you is, you know, I've, I've been following you on LinkedIn and noticing some of your posts. You do a lot of your storytelling there and it's wonderful. And I would, I would recommend people check you out there because it's, it's just another side of how you use storytelling to, to make some really cool, crisp points. And, and I think that's really awesome. I appreciate that. You know, I, I hate social media. I hate it. <laughs> um, but, but LinkedIn is, is a good group of professionals and yeah. it's been a, been a blessing to be on that platform. You know, I, mm-hmm. they, I know they have Facebook and Twitter, somebody else manages that stuff for me, but yeah. if you really want to do get a hold of me, it is through LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, um, and I will say one more thing. We have a website set up on OctoberStrong.com. Okay. And I thought of something kind of clever. We have an option on there where you can actually buy the hardcover and I will sign it. Oh, that's so cool. If people want a signed copy, they can go on the website and we'll send that off to them too. We're still trying to figure out the logistics of like stacks of books at my house, but but I promise, <laughs> uh, you know, I give you my word if it if you they can also find it that way. But yeah, if they want to oh. reach out to me on link, LinkedIn's a good one. And and I and I'll I'll keep putting I, I do I try and keep the selfies to a minimum and, and I, I do try and put a, a, a story out there because 
LinkedIn mm-hmm. is kind of my platform for, for little stories. Yeah. I love it. I think you're doing an awesome job there. Um, and I hope people find you whatever way they can find you. I hope they read the book. Hope they listen if that, when that comes out. And I love the idea of going onto the site, getting the hardcover, getting the signed copy, uh, putting, putting more money in places that, that can really use it. So, um, sure. can you, can you give me the name of the organization one more time? It's the wounded blue, the wounded blue. Yeah. I love it. Um, well, Alan, I really appreciate you taking the time. This is a really fun conversation for me, really enlightening in a lot of ways. And, uh, I, I look forward to seeing you continue on your journey, both as, you know, a SWAT officer and as an author, because I think there's more there if, if, if you're, if you're, if you're game for doing it, I'd love to see where else your, 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 your mind takes you with, with the written word. Okay. Awesome. I'll do it. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. We'll, we'll, Thank we'll you, talk to you soon. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks everyone for checking out the DeSuckify Work podcast. And thanks to Alan for bringing truth, courage, and compassion to our conversation. You can follow Alan on LinkedIn, where he talks about leadership, teamwork, and a whole lot more. And you can find his book, October Strong, on Amazon, or check out OctoberStrong.com for more details. All proceeds from the book go to The Wounded Blue, the nation's largest organization that supports officers who've been hurt or injured in the line of duty. If you listened to this show and thought, hey, TJ might be worth talking to about life, career, business, cats, etc., please reach out to set up a half-hour What the Heck is Coaching All About session. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Bye.